Welcome to Laugh It Up Fuzzball. I am Joe the Wookie Riot. Welcome to the podcast where we talk about life, the universe, and everything, but mostly geek stuff. A place where we get to let our geek flag fly and talk about all things geek. As I've said before, this isn't an amalgamation of geek news or a comprehensive guide to all genres or the world of geekdom. Hopefully it's just a fun place to cover some geek news, comics, The Simpsons, Star Wars, and whatever randomness finds its way on in the recording. But let us get started. Well, hey, hey, friends, welcome to level 68 of Laugh It Up Fuzzball, the long overdue and long promised and potentially long episode that I've been saying I'm going to throw out. But yeah, we, we've we had some good stuff since 67. We had that gigantic hour and 20 something minute bonus episode with me and Danny, which really was like a real episode. I just didn't make it one because of the sound quality. And you got some more comic book movie defenders, which is a lot of fun. More to come on that front. But like I said, hey. Here's the episode, recorded on Wednesday, deciding to put it up on Thursday, just so you'd have Monday, Thursday, and then Monday, potentially next week, with another regular episode. But I've caught up. I've done a lot of stuff. Written my show notes, so to speak. Yeah, sort of. You know, (laughs) show notes are a weird thing. Sometimes I do more work on them than others. But we're just going to go into it, because there's a lot of stuff to talk about, and this could be a really long episode. I'm just going to be honest. Last time I did one of these big episodes, I did live to tape. Didn't do any entity, just threw it up. Friends of mine who listen regularly that I know and I talk to like in a physical basis said it was fine. So we're gonna just going to do that. We're going to do live to tape. Warts and all, I guess actually it was a title once upon a time of an episode, but I did a little editing of that. But now it's just live to tape. If I have the time, of course, I'll do some editing. I'm a bit of a perfectionist, but no time right now. So level 68, talking about all sorts of stuff. And we're going to kick it off with Flavor of the Geek. And we're going to start Flavor of the Geek with some Firehose news, because there's a lot of news to talk about. Basically, Firehose news, if you've ever seen the wonderful Weird Al Yankovic movie, UHF, is Stanley Spadowski's Firehose. He's just going to show up, kid's going to roll up on the little pony, he's going to open up the Firehose, and boom, all the all the news hitting you right in the face. And I'm going to talk a little bit about each thing, if there's something to say, or it might just be a news item I throw out. And if it sounds interesting to you, just go look up more. Of course, if you go to laughitupfuzzball.net, Actually, item well, I don't itemize. It's not listed like item one, but I have all of these stories right there, so you could actually copy straight from laughitofuzzball.net, throw it into your search engine, and find whatever geek sites I'm sure are talking about it. I get all of these news from varied sources, whether it be from my friends talking about it, occasional posts on the Laugh It Up Fuzzballs page, the group page for this wonderful podcast. Or I'll see it on my news feed. I subscribe to a couple different news lists of Geek News or podcasts that I listen to or whatnot. I, I try to be immersed in the world of Geek. Then I compile anything that interests me or stuff that I think might interest you into a bunch of news that I throw out. And uh, while I don't ever promise to be the timely news source, there's plenty of great Nerdist, comic book resource, uh, IGN does some stuff. There. <laughs> Uh, Dark Side Daily. There's lots of geek news places where people are actually paid and make money where their job is to find these news and write stories. And well, I'm not I'm not paid yet. And uh, I just I get this out to you when I can as life permits. And Jeebus knows school has been crazy busy for me. I even have a paper that I should be working on right now. But instead, getting a little bit of recording out to you. But let's go. Firehose news. So all the news coming at you, hitting you, I'm waving my hands towards the microphone just to simulate, for reasons I don't know, all this news. 
Let's get started. Lawrence Fishburne to play Bill Foster, a.k.a. Goliath in Ant-Man and Wasp. Lawrence Fishburne. I like him. Morpheus. He's a great actor. Let's get some Lawrence Fishburne in the Ant-Man and Wasp movie. And just one more reason to be excited for that movie coming out next year. You may have heard the news of Disney and Fox talking about merging or properties coming together. And then there was other news saying that doesn't exist. It's not happening. But I did find a source that says the talks are probably not over because their stocks are rising, which means investors might actually know something. And stocks do tend to rise right before there's a big joining together. So we'll see. I know I'm excited for at least some Fox stuff to go over to Disney, so to speak. More so because I want them to have Marvel properties. I want them to have the X-Men, the Fantastic Four, and all the goodness that that entails. I don't know what that means for Deadpool movies and rated R Logan movies. I have no idea what it means, but it's exciting because I would really like to see some of the characters from the MCU that I've enjoyed, that I love, get to play with some of the Fox stuff. And then we'll see, you know, there's the entire Disney holding hands and playing nice with Sony right now with Spider-Man. Who knows? Could there be a world where it really is just Marvel properties, all the Marvel properties versus all the DC properties? And is that fair to the DC properties? As a comic reader, I, I should be saying yes, it's so fair because DC has a wealth of amazing comics in comparison to Marvel. Marvel has great comics too, but whoa, you know, if you really think of some of those storylines you love from the comics, but... We'll see. We'll see where the world world goes. Uh, usually you get a bunch of small groups in any sort of entertainment or way to make money. And eventually they're gobbled up and you get some big stuff. You know, there used to be lots of lardware, <laughs> lardware stores. You know, that's where you go get the fat that you make your food with. No, lots, there used to be a lot of mom and pop hardware stores. And now you just have Ace and a couple others. I'm not going to advertise for them. They don't pay me. But Home Depot, come at me, bro, if you want, <laughs> want to be a sponsor of the podcast. This podcast brought to you by Lumber. Yeah, real Lumber and Timberman and Lumberjacks. Yeah, I got a beard. I can support the Lumberjacks. I'm tall like a tree. Don't cut me down. But our next news item, rumor of Disney pulling all its Netflix Marvel Universe, you know, all the Marvel stuff from Netflix and coming recently with Punisher being great. We don't we don't know. The Disney streaming service come in 2019 but it's something to think about whether all of these netflix shows that people like are going to exist on netflix or be pulled to the disney streaming service and who knows what their contracts are disney pays a lot of money to lawyers to do smart things so we'll see we'll see if they actually set it up where they have those things and they're not truly netflix's but i can say i'm happy that next year there still will be netflix marvel shows daredevil season two they're actually daredevil season three luke cage season two and I've heard some stuff about Jessica Jones season two, and we we shall see. I've even heard about Iron Fist being greenlit for a second season. Who knows? Those shows, people enjoy them. We never get to see the true stats of how popular these shows are. I know Luke Cage apparently broke the internet, and Iron Fist apparently was more popular than any of them. Even I don't get that. Maybe people just wanted to see what was making everyone so angry. Maybe they just liked the idea of a white guy doing kung fu. A lot of privilege out there in the world. But you will see what happens with Disney and their Marvel Universe movies that are on Netflix. None of them are connected to their MCU, so we'll see. Maybe they'll just wrap them all up and then they'll be done and then they'll start with something new. That's also a probability. We got Jason Momoa and Colin Hardy preparing to make The Crow Reborn, and The Crow is one of those movies that was like, we know they wanted to make more. They did make some straight-to-video movies, actually, after the Jason Lee one, but some, some of them more entertaining than others. The first Crow is a great movie. I would like to see Jason Momoa as the crow 
And and by all accounts, it's actually going forward. It might actually happen. And will this much maligned and cursed show or movie property comic book thingy actually become another good movie? I don't know. But Jason Momoa as the character of the crow being reborn, so to speak, could be a lot of fun. There were some behind the scenes pictures from the upcoming movie Glass, which if you do not know is a trilogy of sorts from M. Night Shyamalan Ding Dong, M. Night Shyamalan, I should say his name right, but you've got Invincible and then another movie in the middle that I don't really want to spoil, although it's, I think it's out there, but there, there's a movie that connects to it, and then Glass, which will have Samuel Jackson's character, Mr. Glass, facing off presumably against Bruce Willis's Invincible Superhero. And these behind-the-scenes picks had James McAvoy, Bruce Willis, Anya Taylor-Joy, and Samuel L. Jackson all meeting up. You can find them on the interwebs. They look cool. Actually, I think if I remember them right, they were actually taken by, you know, paparazzi go out there and try to take pictures. So if you don't want to see that sort of spoiler, want to wait for official images, I would say do that. I, I like, took a glance at them and was like, oh, these are just paparazzo pics. I don't really give a shit. Not going to check them out. I'll wait till we get something big because I already know a little bit about the movie and I actually haven't seen the second movie in the series. So there you go. Take it as you will. Also got Ellen Page set to star in Netflix's The Umbrella Academy. If The Umbrella Academy is something that you're interested in, go up, look at more. But Ellen Page, I enjoy her as an actress. And we'll see. Netflix show, they're obviously like, hey, let's get some more properties, some comic booky stuff and make more shows. And that might also be a bell saying that, you know, they know they're losing their Marvel stuff, so they want to have more. Time will tell. According to The Hollywood Reporter, Sony is developing a Morbius the Living Vampire movie with Burke Sharpless and Matt Shazama, or Sazama, who uh, get the story by credit. If you don't know them, they're the people that did the Power Rangers movie. I did not see that. Some people love it. Some people hate it. I don't know what the script was like because I haven't seen it, but whoa, a Morbius the Living Vampire movie. That is very interesting. And this is more of all of these characters from the Spideyverse that we don't know how Tom Holland's Spider-Man is going to connect to all of it. But yeah, yeah, Morbius the Living Vampire. And I think that would be amazing. Makes me wonder if we're ever going to see more Blade. I don't know. Once they bring the Living Vampire, is there, is there room for a Daywalker on the screen? I don't know, but it's exciting because Little Wookiee, if you said, do you like Morbius the Living Vampire? And I'd be like, yeah, he's pretty cool. And they're like, they're going to make a movie of him someday. And I'm like, you're silly. <laughs> That's never going to happen. But Little Wookiee, if I had Barry Allen's powers, wasn't worried about messing up the entire time stream, I would go back and be like, hey, just sit on your haunches. So much geek stuff is coming for you. And little, little fuzzball, you don't even know. Someday you're going to be talking in your living room to a, a blue microphone with show notes on a Microsoft Word document in front of you. There's going to be people that listen to you. How many people don't pay attention to that? Because it might depress you. But the people who do enjoy it and just keep doing it, little fuzzball. And it's worth the bullying because someday you'll be big and awesome and good for you, kid. Keep being smart because that's going to pay off when you go to college pay off big trust me all of that acting and musical theater and schoolwork is going to pay off and set you up as an adult and all the other kids that were little assholes to you probably are target security guards now <laughs> so there you go little fuzzball throw in a little time capsule and speed force it back to him but then I, whoa did did my whole life change just now did something happen did that whoa am i in a different place did that did i experience an entirely different reality because of my moment right now and all of a sudden i'm being a flash nerd and a time travel nerd and i'm gonna stop and move on to the next item which is you heard me rant 
on episode 66, executing order 66, how I'm pissed off at all these people in the geek world having allegations against them. I'm just going to say more names. Andrew Kreisberg of DCW TV is now wrapped up in some wrongdoing bullshit, suspended pending an investigation, and a senior editor of DC Comics, Eddie Berganza, also suspended both for sexual harassment charges and just fuck. Wow. I'm not, you heard me on Execute Order 66, Level 66. If you didn't, go back. It's at the beginning of the episode. Me ranting about all this, but I guess just keep keep digging your garden. Be like Voltaire's Candide. Dig your garden. Figure out how to live a happy life and, and pull out all these weeds. Do it now. Just one big sweep of all the scumbags in the geek world so that we can press forward and not worry about it. Another news story, Ben Affleck, he had a USA Today story. He says that he's just contemplating doing Matt Reeves' Batman. He added, uh, playing a superhero isn't something you can do forever, quotes around forever. He wants to, quote, find a graceful and cool way to segue out of it, end quote. I'm just sick of Ben Affleck and all this. Is he Batman? Isn't he Batman? I just actually would love to see a new story that said Ben Affleck is not the new Batman. It'll be a new actor that is not Jake Gyllenhaal. And this actor, hopefully, will realize what an opportunity it is to play Bruce Wayne. It's not just a silly comic book character. This this is a character that... It's the most popular DC comic book character. And it it, it is a, a joy and an honor. And there's lots to work with as an actor. And you should you should enjoy doing it. And if, and if you're sad, sad fleck, then stop. Just stop. Go make other movies and hopefully you'll make Oscars. And say lovey. Say lovey, friend. Leave the franchise. And cool and graceful. If you want out, you just get to be out. Nothing cool and graceful about it. We don't owe you that. No, The world doesn't owe you anything, Ben Affleck. Sorry about it. Sorry about it. The world owes you nothing. It owes me nothing. It owes you nothing. Hell, you've been paid millions of dollars for this opportunity that you got that apparently you're not enjoying. So, hey, just go spend that money, maybe on some booze or whatever the hell it is you do. And and yeah, you can. I'll remember you as the bomb and phantoms and when you were Kevin Smith's friend because I think I actually liked you more back then. The end. The end of Batfleck. Okay. I'll be okay with it. Perfectly okay. Give Michael Keaton an opportunity to do Dark Knight. <coughs> excuse me. Dark Knight Returns, Old Man Batman, or maybe a, a Batman Beyond scenario. Get Michael Keaton back in the cow and let him be old Batman. And then there you go. Then you can have a lot of fun. I don't know. It's just spitballing me, throwing out ideas. And Firehose News is not going as fast as I thought it would be. Another news story, Illumination Entertainment is doing a Mario Brothers movie. So that means a CGI Mario Brothers movie. And why not? Sounds great. I actually don't hate those minions, Despicable Me, and some of your other properties. I've, I've enjoyed them. My kids love the Secret Life of Pets. And why not do the Super Mario Brothers? And it makes sense Nintendo is going to have a part in the Universal theme park, and if you don't know anything about Universal, the Illumination stuff is all there, the DreamWorks and the Illumination, so Shrek and the Trolls and all of that jazz right there for the kiddies to enjoy. They don't have Disney characters, so they get all these CGI characters, and it's more current, and children love it, and they make some fun rides and shows about it, and they're going to be doing something Nintendo, apparently, definitely they'll probably do it in Florida because they have a lot more land. But I guess they'll figure out a way to do it in Hollywood, which unfortunately means we'll probably lose more and more of the back lot, which sickens me to my soul. But 
they're going to do a Super Mario Brothers movie. Hopefully, it's very enjoyable. I don't see how it couldn't be with that format. You just figure out a way to take the, the weird video games that really aren't about a story. I'm sure someone's going to come at me and hate me about that. I know Blue knows a lot about the mythology of the Mario Brothers. But yeah, they'll do the movie and then probably come out right about the time they're announcing or actually doing something with their theme park because that's Illumination is tied up with Universal and it's smart business and that's how they do things. And good for you. Also, talking about some of the Battlefront 2 anger from fans. This actually came to me by way of my buddy Kareem who is a big video gamer. And apparently Battlefront 2, EA, they're also the people that do the Simpsons Tapped Out, which is the game that I can't, I don't know if I can really qualify myself and say I write about it because I haven't written on the blog that I write for in quite a while with everything going on with school. But they're doing it and everybody, you know, evil, angry corporation, EA, and sometimes they do things that piss people off. I'm very familiar with it and they, they did these these bundle mystery bundles or whatever where you could spend a hundred dollars or whatever and get everything you want and then you'll be awesome in the person versus person mode of battlefront 2 a lot of people got pissed off because ea promised that they weren't going to just nickel and dime people with this game and it was another way to do that like sure we're not going to nickel dime you but if you want to be good initially against all these other people that can't spend the money then spend this money and people like kareem were hot pissed Think about boycotting the game. I've also heard news, though, that Bob Iger was like, no, or at least EA changed their mind and everybody assumes that Disney, namely Bob Iger, their CEO, was like, F this noise, no negative Star Wars press before we have The Last Jedi come out. And it apparently it's fixed. I haven't played Battlefront 2. I have friends that are, are giving up some of their life right now playing it, which means it's probably good. I've heard a lot of good things about the story mode. It's something I hope to play at some point. Probably, oh my goodness, it'll probably end up like me playing Knights of the Old Republic like years and years later after it came out and enjoying the hell out of it. But we have that coming. What else? We've got James Franco announced uh, possibly being multiple man in a Fox movie. Well, there you go. I like James Franco. He could play multiple man and we'll see what story they do. We've got the producer of every DCU movie so far who is Charles Roven actually saying in an interview that he would like a Martian Manhunter movie and on the same token he'd like Green Lantern movies and yes sir please if you have any clout as a producer keep keep that going don't let Justice League be the end-all be-all of movies let there be more and I, I think standalones are the way to go and I, I would love the hell out of a John Jones story on the big screen although I get I get to see him on Supergirl on the DCW TV so it's okay I get some Martian Manhunter and uh, I, I love the character in the comics and really Smallville brought him to my attention a, a long time ago and it's just something I it's a character I enjoy character I want to see more of we got J. Scott Campbell's Danger Girl is going to be a movie and a TV show I don't know what that means I didn't look up too much about it unfamiliar with the property but yeah a Danger Girl movie and then maybe a Danger Girl TV show and we shall see and hopefully it doesn't end up like the Dark Tower movie and TV show Gonna end it right there. We got Chris McKay, who you know is the director of the Lego Batman movie. Also attached to the Nightwing movie for Warner Brothers. And he's going to have an open casting call for the movie, which is exciting news. Yes, let's get some unknowns. Let's get some new names. Let's get some new people. Lots of fun. There's a Harley Quinn animated cartoon show. That's going to be lots of episodes. Possibly with Margot Robbie doing the voice of Harley Quinn. And yeah, I, I actually don't know what network. Look it up if it interests you. I uh, 
Right now, I'm on a bit of a Harley Quinn hiatus, and that'll make more sense when we get to the end of Flavor of the Geek. We got Jude Law as Captain Marvel in the Captain Marvel movie. If you don't know anything about Captain Marvel, that really ties in to the the story of Captain Marvel and the Kree and the technology. And I like Jude Law. I mean, heck, he's playing young Dumbledore in the sequel to Fantastic Beasts. And yeah, please. I like Jude Law as an actor and bring him into the Marvel Universe. I, I love that they pull all of these great actors. My buddy Sean hates it because all the superhero movies take all this talent. But yeah, Jude Law, definitely be in it, be in it. And hopefully this can be your uh, your victory because I know your King Arthur movie did not turn out as everybody hoped. Haven't seen it. I've heard good things. But yeah, Jude Law is Captain Marvel, who is a Cree superhero of sorts also i heard some news about a prequel show on amazon but it's going to be lord of the rings and if this isn't we want our own game of thrones on amazon nothing is and hopefully they find a way to make it exciting because there is a lot of potential for a lot of walking in this show and i don't want to watch a show where people just walk around i mean i'm watching eight seasons of the walking dead and there's lots of walking there are walkers in that show so i don't necessarily need another show about walking so i don't need the walking elves and but I'm interested, you know. I, I have Amazon Prime, so it's something I could watch. I don't actually watch too many other shows on there, but yeah, we'll we'll see. We'll see when more news comes. It's just this is just news. There's no previs or anything like that. Just a little story. And then we also have, regardless of rumors, Joss Whedon is actually still attached as a director of Batgirl, working on the script. Although it, the movie has not officially been greenlit. A lot of people have thought that because Joss Whedon was attached to the Justice League movie, which did not do as well as they wanted, that he wouldn't be attached to anything else. He's still a talented guy, and if he has a vision for Batgirl, I mean, this is the guy attached to Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the television show that everybody loves. So yeah, he, he does female characters well, and he, and he doesn't do it in a way that makes him news where he's a scumbag like others. He just actually does justice and writes good well-rounded fully realized characters female characters and yeah let him work on a Batgirl script let him do the movie let him do his movie don't give him all the pressure of picking up another movie don't make him be doing the Avengers you know let him actually just maybe do something a little smaller budget a little more composed story-based and it could be amazing we also have Kevin Feige saying that Avenger 4 Avengers 4 is the finale uh, and he said, yes, that does mean people will die, prompting my entire geek feed this week to be all about people saying, who's going to die in the movie? I'll just throw out mine. I hope it's Iron Man. And uh, I actually have a really interesting idea of how they could keep Iron Man in the story based on some stuff that happened to Secret Empire. No, not the storyline of Secret Empire, but the AI that is Tony Stark. You know, don't worry about the Hidden Valley when... You're doing a CGI Tony Stark. You've proven that you can do it. Looks a little off, but if it's blue and it's a hologram, nobody's going to care that's a little bit off. Then you just pay that ADR money to uh, Robert Downey Jr. to do the voice, and you don't have to pay him as much. He still gets to be involved. But I don't know what the cost of doing a, a CGI AI Tony Stark would be. But then you just have the suit, and then you can just have like his blue face in there. Maybe that doesn't cost a lot. I think that'd be a really great way to do a movie i think i think fine and you know we might have we might have cap being uh being dead we we might see roadie finally die you know as of now the only person that we have lost is quicksilver so well, we don't know there there's gonna be deaths but remember friends that kevin feige said avengers 4 
He didn't say Avengers Infinity War, which is the third movie. And that's a really good segue to turn down the fire hose, screech, 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 and focus on a couple items I wanted to talk about a bit more. Although Firehose News actually did talk more. I just planned on saying the news story, but sometimes I get Gabby and I can't shut up. But let's just go. First up, the Avengers Infinity War trailer dropped today in the morning. And hot damn was this trailer everything. I was going to hope it was going to be plus more. Wow, I put it up on the Laugh It Up Fuzzballs group page. Check it out if you haven't seen it. Go on your YouTube. It's something that people are talking about, and rightfully so. It looks good. And this is no CGI monstrosity Steppenwolf. I liked the way Thanos looked in the couple things. I like Josh Brolin's voice. I enjoyed seeing that this, this there's going to be some trials and tribulations for the Avengers. There's going to be some tough times. And you're going to get everybody, just off the top of my head, uh, Doctor Strange, Tony, Steve Rogers Nomad, Black Panther and people from Wakanda, Hulk, a Hulk Buster Suit, Guardians of the Galaxy, Thor, and more. Thor and more. <laughs> it was really, really good. I will say, if you haven't seen Thor Ragnarok, don't watch the very end of the trailer because there actually is a little bit of a spoiler there. But, oh, you know, friends, it's not, it's not a big... Well, I think of it as a spoiler, but you, it might just be a moment where you're like, well, what's that? And if you've seen Thor Ragnarok, it makes complete sense. But they, uh, they didn't do any fanciness to get rid of that. The movie's out. Should have seen it. But May. May 2018. And hot, hot, hot dog, hot dog, hot diggity dog. Before you start doing the Mickey Mouse Club song, which is actually written by They Might Be Giants. True story. Particle Man, guys. Anyways, before I go too far down that rabbit hole, this was an amazing trailer. And bonus, I hear this is going to be one of the trailers in front of The Last Jedi. So hooray for a chance to see it on a screen bigger than the TV in my living room. My roommates actually have an HDMI cord so I can plug in my computer to the TV and make it bigger. Make it grow. Make it bigger. And I like to watch trailers that way when I have the opportunity. We actually all sit around on the couch and watch it like nerds, which is great. Make sure your roommates are geeky like you. And yeah, there's all the meef in here. It is a You can overdose on meef is what we found out from my roommate Kayla. Because she was so excited by all her bays that she thinks are attractive in the movie. And it, it's a lot of fun. And uh, just shout out for Spidey Sense. That's all. That's the only thing I'll say. Mild spoiler, but shout out to Spidey Sense. Hooray. Good job. Looks good. And tells me nothing about the story, which is exactly what I want. I know that this is Thanos trying to get the Infinity Gauntlet with all the Infinity Stones and making these 20-plus movies all lead to a big bad where there's big things and eventually, according to Kevin Feige, some death, 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 death. But we've already seen the goddess of death in Thor Ragnarok, so and people have died. And, you know, R.I.P. to the Warriors 3. Uh, wow. Yeah, there's, there's going to be more death. And, and okay, okay, that'll be all right. Since we're talking trailers... Just real quick, really Firehose new style, but A Wrinkle in Time had a new trailer. That's Disney's Eva, du Eva DuVernay movie that they're really excited about, and it looks bright and colorful. I still can't get over, is that Oprah Winfrey? That's Oprah Winfrey. Every time I see her, I'm just like, that's Oprah Winfrey. I don't know that Oprah gets to be anybody but Oprah unless she's doing like historical movies about slaves, and that sounds wrong. She was really actually good, but... It's it's a fun looking trailer, and I'm very excited for a young 
person of color to be the main character of this and it it, it could be amazing disney's really excited about it already heard that Ava DuVernay is being considered for the world, you know, she, like Patty Jenkins. She's getting her name out there. She's an amazing female auteur. And yeah, we'll see. The movie looks bright and lots of lots of stuff to look at and mind warpy bendiness and it's a fun trailer. A movie I might I might see it. I might put it on my list. We'll see. I, I didn't read the original story, so there you go. Looks good. And also there was an Incredibles 2 teaser trailer Real short, this is a teaser trailer. This is just Jack-Jack the Baby, who you may remember from the first Incredibles. Mr. Incredible shows up. Some stuff goes down just for you to be like, yes, yes, The Incredibles 2 actually happening. Already working on it. Made an original teaser trailer, and we get to watch it. And yay, yay for that. Yay for that, because The Incredibles is an amazing superhero movie. And, and it needs a sequel. It needed one sooner rather than later. But we get one later, and it's good. Um, I guess we could do a quick review. I saw the Batman and Harley Quinn animated movie. Borrowed it from my buddy Kareem. Me and Heather sat down and watched it. The best part of that movie, according to Heather, was watching me be outraged and shocked by how awful the movie was. I already said in a news story that I heard it was awful, but I can confirm it. It is not good. Fans of Batman the Animated Series, there there is animation style similar. There are voices. Kevin Conroy doing the voice of Batman, but that that is where... The interest in this ends. If you want to hear a bunch of dick and fart jokes, if you want to see Harley Quinn over-sexualized, quite literally over-sexualized, um, if you want to see Swamp Thing misused completely, the, on the only thing positive to say about it, if I was going to do a CBM Defenders on it, and I'm, I don't plan on it because I don't want to watch it again, I guess I would say The Floronic Man was interesting, Poison Ivy was interesting, and, and, and But not that interesting. It wasn't good. And literally, I wrote down this quote from Harley Quinn at the end of the movie that I think is my perfect encapsulation of this hot mess. And it is. Well, that was a big-ass bucket of nothing. And that's, that's the best Harley Quinn I can do. You're welcome, Pudding. Yes, it was a big-ass bucket of nothing. Not a good movie. Now, if a friend owns it and you want to borrow it and watch it, you know, there there's worse ways to spend an hour and a half of your life, like like snorting meth. I don't even know if you can snort meth. I'm not a big drug guy, but, you know, or, or robbing cars and getting imprisoned or, I don't know, insert bad thing, you know, taking away food from starving children in Africa. Worse ways to spend an hour and a half. But you really have to do something pretty bad and atrocious to find a worse way. Uh, Heather enjoyed laughing at me, be really pissed off about it. So that's good. And and yeah, the movie was better because I spent time with somebody that I love watching it. But it was was not good. It was not good. There are better ways that we could have spent our time. And uh, just just trust me, you can avoid it. Unless you're sick at home and it's, and it's free and you want to do it to yourself. Then you can have the big-ass bucket of nothing into your life. And uh, yeah, it, it was really bad. I guess I, I have here in my notes Justice League and Punisher Season 1. I have finished Punisher. It's great. It's amazing. My roommates are watching it, and when they have it on in the TV in the living room and I'm down here, I watch it as well. Again, really good. It is a show that I feel had no wasted episodes as a, meter, a veteran, a veteran, uh, a member veteran, a veteran of the armed forces. Wow, lots of respect paid to my brothers and sisters in arms in a show all about PTSD. If you will, you know, Jessica Jones is about PTSD from a different angle. Punisher is about PTSD from this angle, from the military aspect. 
and you get Frank Castle kicking ass and taking names, but you also get dramatic moments, and John Barenthal acts his face off in the show, and it is so good, incredibly enjoyable, and I really recommend it. I think it is highly worth your time. Check out Punisher. I say season one just because I'm like, hey, there's going to be a season two. Let me start talking about it as season one now, but Punisher on Netflix, 13 episodes. Yes, I realize it's a big investment, but it is a show that is set up where I, I found it compelling where I had to keep watching, but... You could watch just an episode at a time. It was really good. I did see the Justice League movie. I'll just shout out to the bonus ode. I think it's bonus ode number five with Danny. The sound quality is actually a lot better than I thought it would be. Recorded on my phone in the car. LA traffic on our way to Fatman on Batman. But yeah, I talk all about Justice League there. And I, I don't really want to talk any more about it. Maybe in the future, if Danny sees it, we'll debate it. Or when Blue sees it. Or if it comes up on an episode, we'll talk about it. You know, it's not the worst movie. But I find it sad that the reason Justice League gets to be better is because there are stinkers like BBS and Suicide Squad. Although I, I didn't hate Suicide Squad as much as some. And I actually still waffle back and forth about whether I think Justice League or Suicide Squad was a better movie. Justice League's probably going to win just because it is the Justice Leaguers. And there was some good stuff for Flash and Aquaman and Wonder Woman and Cyborg and Superman. And Batman was in the movie. <laughs> Batfleck, not a big fan. Sorry, your marshmallow suit and your obvious disdain for the role are palpable and evident to me. But Justice League, I mean, it's, it's a movie worth seeing because it is the Justice League. As a kid, young Wookiee with his time capsule, he's just finding out that a Justice League movie is going to happen and he still can't believe it. And it did happen. And there was a lot of really good things that could be built on for greatness in the future. And that says something. So go see it. I, I, but I don't think I want to see it again. I guess there you go. I'm not sad that I saw it the first time. I enjoyed myself for the most part. I didn't laugh as much as others in the theater. But I don't, as of right now, want to spend any money to go see it again. But it is a movie I might actually own at some point and not be sad about owning like I am about the Ultimate Edition of BBS that I own. So there you go. That, that just is some thoughts. I also watched all of Stranger Things Season 2, but that is going into our spoilerific, supersized, small screen, Star Wars, sci-fi, superhero synopsis, Stranger, another S, Things Season 2, or just Stranger Things 2, and uh, nine episodes. Fun. The Episode 7, I probably would wash it away, but the Duffer Brothers... Did it again. Captured lightning in a body bottle, if you will. Flash lightning in a bottle. <laughs> That's what they did. They just captured the, the stupid blue lightning in a flash. Anyways, I said I was going to stop talking about Justice League. Stranger Things 2. This is the continuation of all the kids. Eleven. And Will. And now I can't think of all their names. Mike. And Toothless. And... And oh, I feel bad that I can't think of all their names. I should have written down the notes. I actually forgot to put Stranger Things 2 in my notes. I just remembered that, Wookie, you binged that during your fall break of school too. But I didn't binge it as fast as I did Punisher. Watched it over the course of three or four days. You know, a couple a couple episodes here there. And I, re I really liked it. I But I, I don't know. It, I really liked Stranger Things the first season a ton. But I fell onto it by accident because my kid was watching it and she had found out about it from other people. And I was like, wow, it's really good. And when the second one was coming, I'm like, I'm excited. But when I had other things, I, I just didn't 
rip away a piece of my life to dedicate to it like I did for Punisher. I did do that. I ripped away a piece of my life and dedicated it there. But it was fun, enjoyable. It's on Netflix, so you could, if you haven't seen it, you could watch it whenever. It is, instead of just the upside down and the singular Demogorgon in the first season, you have a much more ominous evil. Will is still connected to the upside down in a strange way. I guess it's, I already spoiled it, but Eleven is in the show. I would say watch all the way, you know, one to six, and then skip seven, have a friend tell you about it, and then watch eight and nine. There, There's some some really fun stuff. Those kids are great acting. Keep keep filming them, Duffer Brothers, while they're still young. Although I heard a news story that they're going to wait a year and a half as far as the story goes, come back like a year and a half later just to account for the fact that these these young actors are aging and growing into their adult selves. And especially because, you know, I think the youngest one is 14 and the oldest one is 15. But they're right at that point where things get awkward and ta the body be a changing. <laughs> it's, wow, it's real, the worst. Uh, that song's much better at the opening sequence of the Watchmen movie. <laughs> the times they are a changing. But the body be a changing. And I liked I liked the evil from the big bad. I liked the stuff going on in Hawkins. Winona Ryder. I, I, she was not my favorite part of the first season. But I actually liked what Winona got down to in the second one. The, the sheriff is great. I can't think of his name, but he's going to be in the Hellboy movie. And all the kids were great. And my boy from Goonies, and I can't think of his name right now either. <laughs> Wookie brain farted, all sorts of stuff. But my boy from Goonies getting to be in another 80s themed show. And I think that's one of the things I really liked about this show. Is it just, not only is it set in the 80s, but it is filmed like the 80s and you just get that vibe and then you get the arcade games and there's a new character named Mad Max and you just you get all the amazingness that that is the nostalgia for that but they're keeping the story and and a lot of people love it I'm sure it did really well for itself and you know they they just did their thing they they did their thing they had a good time they told another story I guess there's certainly going to be a season three and a season four we shall see how that all shakes out, whether that happens. But yeah, they're they they're doing they're doing the Demogorgon's work, not the Lord's work, but the Demogorgon's work, and uh, the upside downs work, if you will, but evoking all of that '80s flair and nostalgia that people love, and giving us a show that really is enjoyable and that is totally worth checking out. My brain just brought up David Harbor, so David Harbor as uh, Sheriff Hopper. And then, uh, I don't know, why can't I, I think the kid's name is Mike, but I know his name's Finn Wolfhard, because I loved him in the It movie. And then Gadim Matarazzo plays Toothless, that I can't think of the name of that character. And then, oh, is it Lucas? I think Lucas is the name of the African-American kid, who really shined in here. He's got some beautiful caterpillar eyebrows. And then, trying to go into my head just to try and figure out, oh, Sean Astin! Sean Astin as Bob the Brain. And it just was it was really good to see him doing his thing there and lots more actors. You know, the sister returns and then Mike's brother returns and yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of fun to be had and Papa Papa Eleven's Papa returns and uh, yeah, there there's some really interesting things going on in Stranger Things too. I thought it was a lot of fun. It is worth watching and check it out. But we're gonna keep going with all the S's. You know me. 
Geek TV, and that that rhymes, and it's great. But I caught up on most of the shows. I'll tell you the shows that I didn't catch up on, because obviously watching 13 episodes of The Punisher and 9 episodes of Stranger Things 2, and then watching the Harley Quinn movie and seeing the Justice League movie in there, some of my free time that I spend watching these things was not there. But here's what I did. We'll start with Walking Dead Season 8, Episode 4, titled Some Guy. And this is the type of episode... That reminds me of why I've watched The Walking Dead for eight seasons. I made that joke about Lord of the Rings and Walking, but no, this this was a good episode. It's all the aftermath of the events from the previous episode. Focuses on King Ezekiel and his army, which includes deadly, lovely Carol as they attack Negan's arms depot at one of his outposts. Lots of zombies, firefights, plus a healthy dose of nice acting here. Just when you think it's going to be one group for almost an hour. You also get some high-speed chase action, some Daryl and Rick action for good measure. Really enjoyed this episode. Marked it as one of my favorites of the season so far, especially because we got some story from the comics involving the King and Shiva, which could play out nicely in future episodes. I just thought it was lovely. Episode 5, The Big Scary You, and wowza, Walking Dead manages to be two for two in episodes, and namely because I've been pretty clear that I enjoy the hell out of almost every moment with Jeffrey D. Morgan's Negan in it. And there's a lot to smile about in this episode, following up on what's going on with Father Gabriel and the man who chews the hell out of scenery while holding Lucille. Also some past stuff, filling in some holes in the story before this whole war started between the saviors and the survivors. And then lots of great tension here. And while it's a spoiler, so skip 30 seconds or so if you want to avoid it. The moment where Negan punches Gaby in the face after he said, I forgive you, had me seriously laughing. I'm like, like actually chuckling a little under my breath as I think about that moment. Like if someone says, I forgive you, I just want to punch him in the face from now on. I, I'm still on the side of Rick's gang somehow through all this, but the way they paint Negan's side, so you're not quite sure who the bad guys of the story are, is pretty damn amazing. He's a complicated human dude who's charismatic, Hard to hate at points. It's so freaking good. I wish they had not ended this episode with the scene with Gabe and Eugene, but oh well, it's okay because the rest of the episode really thought it was good. Sometimes Walking Dead is at its best when it's just two characters interacting, and that was no different here, although there's lots more for other saviors, you know, get in, get in some moments in the show, and here's hoping that Walking Dead doesn't run some good momentum is what I was thinking when I finished episode 5. And then I watched episode 6. The King, the Widow, and Rick. I want to call it the King, the Widow, and the Rick because it's the Rick, right? Lots, lots of stuff going on in this episode. It involved Maggie and her group at Hilltop, Rick with the trash people who take and don't bother, Carol and Sad King Ezekiel's Kingdom, Daryl, Tara, Rosita, Michonne on separate but colliding missions. Certainly not as much action in this episode. And, and the show, it headed back to dramatic territory. Seems this episode was one of those, we're supposed to start doubting how well things are actually going for Rick's gang. Then a lot of people are off on their own agendas. Coupled with the fight that we know Daryl and Rick had, who knows, lots of moving parts, but it, it made sense for the most part. If I'm being honest, this one sort of left me feeling a little mad after the previous episodes because I enjoyed those so much. But I can see how this might lead to even better stuff in the future. Shout out to Carol in this episode. But I'm always a big fan when Carol's on screen, so she's one of my favorite characters. I'll say Maggie's acting better. I told Danny that I didn't like her acting in it, and he's like, well, she's just working with what she's given, and I thought her acting was better here. And there, there's a lot of stuff for Hilltop. Really like some moments for Jesus. 
that is a character in The Walking Dead, if you didn't know. No, it's not the Lord and Savior of Christians. Just a character named Jesus. Not Jesus. He's not Hispanic. He's a brown-haired, blue-eyed beauty named Jesus. And that's probably why, because of, you know, white privilege representations of Jesus in the past. And just, you know, that's what the, the people dealing with the zombie apocalypse called him. So, <laughs> there you go. Or maybe he was maybe he was quite religious. Maybe he was. Maybe maybe he was a, a cold, cold by God. I, I don't know. I don't know. And I don't know why I started talking like this. But Walking Dead always brings out the country in me. Because they're in Virginia. And they mention I'm from Georgia. <laughs> there you go. But enough Walking Dead. Let's talk Supergirl. Season 3. Episode 6. Midvel. And I've said it before. But this is a show that I watch with Heather. And of all the DC, C, DCW shows. This was the one I didn't have to binge to, to catch up for this episode. Because I keep up on it. Every week I watch it with Heather. As I record this episode. I've actually seen several parts of the new crossover um, actually, wait, I've seen part one, and then tonight I'm going to see part two and three with Heather. And um, since this was a Supergirl episode, the part one was a no-brainer that I was going to see. Ah, I'm getting all confused. We're not talking the crossover. We're talking Midvale. What I wanted to say is I hadn't seen Midvale in a while because it had been a couple weeks. But I still remember how much I loved this flashback episode with Alex and Kara returning to their hometown of Midvale and their childhood home. And us getting to see a story from back when the sisters were not cordial. They weren't. There wasn't a lot of sisterly love. There was just this weird alien girl living in Alex's house. And she was not a big fan. There's a murder mystery. The bad guy was telecast a little bit. Heather Heather knew exactly who the bad guy was. I, I sort of knew. But they found great actors to play the younger versions of Cara and Alex. And the episode was quite good. It was about sisterhood and what that entails, and they found a way to still entertain while also helping both adult Car and Alex get out of their respective funks so the story can keep going. And this is it is a filler episode, but it was a really nice way to do a filler episode, so I applaud them. Episode 7 was called Wake Up, and having liked the previous episode so much, I wasn't really ready for a clumsy episode that tried to cover all sorts of things. Spoilers for this, skip ahead. Monel is back with complications involving time travel. They're preparing the seemingly pointless character Samantha as the big bad brain. Then they're making sure the whole Martian Manhunter has a dad who's alive and on Earth with him story isn't completely neglected. Don't get me wrong, I still like this show. Even when it's a little saccharine and cheesy. Even when it's a little convoluted and clumsy. And uh, this this one, it was it was a little chunky. I felt bad for Kara in this episode. I found all my regular moments to smile and ooh and aww during, I'm always like aww whenever Supergirl, like when they have a heartfelt moment, I'm like, I look at Heather and I love her and aww, it's so great. But the whole Rain, the Kryptonian world killer plot has been awkward, but hopefully now that they've gotten to the big reveal of her being Rain, it's going to get better. Although then I wonder, like, what the hell they're going to do with her daughter. And I, whenever I see Samantha and her daughter, I'm like, they don't look like mother and daughter. And I, I know that shouldn't matter to me, but they just seem like two different people. I know she was supposed to be young when she had her. They do actually use, like, her powers developing at this point to sort of explain it. But time will tell if I'm going to like this villainess, so to speak. I know she's a great Supergirl villain, so we'll see. It was a B-plus episode. I enjoyed it. And not really for, I thought I would be much more happy with Mon-El coming back, but I knew there'd have to be some sort of twist. And and yeah, I, but I, I get it. We'll, we'll see. 
we'll see. I don't I don't know where it's all going. There was there was a lot of a lot of uncertainty for me and things that were happening in this episode. But we'll we'll just we'll follow it and see where it heads. Next up, the gifted episode seven, and oh, this is called Extreme Measures, and they're still doing the thing, all capital letters except for the X is a big X. And God dang, I said God dang, I love this show about mutants who are X Men. This one deals with Eclipse's deal with the cartel, how that impacts his relationship with Polaris. Plus, the Struckers deal with their little girl, like in a mutant illusionist kid named Wes. And then there's more reveals for Blink's backstory, some interaction with Thunderbird. Overall, actually, there's another plot because it's a four-plot episode. There's some stuff with Sentinel Services, too. But this four-plot episode was not the strongest of the season, but it was still good, especially because all the actors involved are quite dang good. This show keeps up with its dark and bloody tone without taking it too far. Then there's sentiment and emotion to keep you tied to characters. I especially liked that Blink got some stuff to make her a more fleshed out character other than just a girl with the weird eyes who can make portals and has a, a fake thing for Thunderbird. <laughs> she, she got a little bit more, learned a little bit more about her backstory. Also, they discussed some civil liberty stuff, briefly in a cursory way, but they, they involve Sentinel Services and the lengths that they're willing to go to find mutants and what the Justice Department thinks about it. Um, and they're doing some bad stuff, just so, you know, they, yeah, it's bad stuff, and people die as a result, and people die in this episode, and, uh, you know, sometimes bad guys can be more than just bad, but uh, they, 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 I guess Agent Turner, they find, they find ways to humanize him where he's a more complicated character. But then you just have the evil, evil scientist. And there's a big reveal at the end with the familiar name for fans of the X-Men that leads directly into the next episode that I'll keep keep mum on. But it was really cool. Episode 8 was called Threat of Extinction. Reed Strucker finds out that he needs to get information from his estranged father. And the info is super crazy. And I refuse to spoil it. Certainly adds an extra element of danger to everything. Also explains more of the mysterious Dr. Roger Campbell and his interest in the Strucker children. On that front, we find out a bit more about the mutants working against the underground that Campbell calls Hounds, of whom Pulse was one of them from the previous Prison Break episode. There's refugees that connect to this in the form of a drugged-out speedster, as well as a little girl that connects to Blink's past. The end finds a lot of character moments, including probably one of the best uses of Dreamer's powers yet. The episode was compelling, Shakes up what you think you knew about the show, especially the, for the Strucker kids. If I had time, I would want to go back and watch those two's interactions in previous episodes just to see if I look at it differently. Because it's one of those sort of reveals where you're like, oh, now I sort of look at all this stuff differently. I know a certain Beatles song about holding hands that the Strucker kids should not emulate. And it was a fun episode. I find myself sad that there really aren't too many episodes left since this is only a 13-episode first season. I've heard that it's already been picked up for a second season, and no doubt because it's really good. The next episode actually doesn't air this week. airs December 4th. So there you go. I really, really enjoy The Gifted. If you like the X-Men, like mutant stuff, I think you would really enjoy the show. Rebels Season 4, Episode 9, Rebel Assault. This is Rebels versus an Imperial blockade of a fuel depot. And the blockade's orbiting Lethal. And so you get Thrawn and his massive Imperial force versus 24 scrappy fighters and bombers led by Hera. And there's... There's losses in this, and, you know. The first losses are expected. Uh, there's going to be wingman loss, and there. But then there's a beautiful shot against a Lothal sunset or sunrise, which is breathtaking and heartbreaking. 
And and the rebels, I mean, it's one of the things when you're going up a big despotic empire, you know, your your missions are going to have loss. If you go back and watch A New Hope when they do the first attack on the Death Star, the first Death Star, doesn't doesn't end happy for everybody. It doesn't. It ends happy for Luke Skywalker and a couple others, but it doesn't doesn't end up great for everybody. But uh, we sadness aside, we get to see Hera be a bad mama jam of a pilot. We get to see her be a bad mamma jamma of a hand-to-hand combat person, lady, Twi'lek, amazing leader. There's escapee pilots in one of the districts of Lothal, plus more Rook, the Nagri, Nagri assassin. There's Mart Madden, formerly of Iron Squadron, plus Captain Volscarius making an appearance. More Lothwolf mystery, as well as Thrawn. Let's just say this isn't a happy episode. What I found super cool in this was the space battle featuring X-Wings and Y-Wings, which the latter are my favorite. Also, Matt Martin or Mart Madden calls Hera General here, so I guess we know she got promoted and officially has a title overheard in Rogue One. Fortunately, we're going to have to wait until like February 2018 to see where this all leads. One heck of a cliffhanger, but it was a really good episode. My curiosity has peaked as far as the Loth Wolves and Caleb Doom, and I'm going to leave that statement a mystery for anyone uninitiated so that it's not a spoiler unless you're right there, but I still didn't reveal anything. I'm really eager to see how Dave Filoni and his gang are going to finish off this show. We've had nine episodes, and I think I heard that it's only 18. It's not going to the 22-23 mark, so we're halfway done. In February 2018, we're going to get more. Next up, The Flash, Season 4, Episode 6, When Harry Met Harry. No, he's not meeting Sally. He's meeting Harry. (laughs) It makes sense. Let me keep going. But, oh, Ralph Dibney, how do I dig thy joining Team Flash and learning lessons about how to be a hero from Barry Allen while also wearing a ridiculous suit? And I guess the other option was you fighting crime naked, and I'm glad you didn't pick that. That's really the gist of this episode has another meta from the Dark Matter incident which brought Flash back from the Speed Force. This is a Native American rights activist and antiques reclaimer who can bring life to inanimate objects like stone lines and caveman and SWAT suits and more. And more is a big and more. I, I said a couple things but there's a big, big, big thing which had me really entertained. Comic fans may recognize the name Black Bison who is the villain of this. Along with this story, some more reveals for DeVoe in the ridiculous form of, of Earth 2 Wells working with counterparts of his from other Earths while I laughed at Tom Cavanaugh playing even more versions of himself, including an eccentric German scientist, a playboy a la Matthew McConaughey, and a dystopian cyborg version. It was a bit ridiculous, but it, it did bring us to Barry finally finding out who exactly the big bad is. And, and plot twist, he's not who we thought when Joe and Barry go to his lair on quote-unquote official police business. Overall, this was another Villain of the Week episode, but it was lighthearted and goofy, especially the Ralph and Barry stuff and the suit. It was fun. I'll forgive it for, I'll forgive it for any, any shortcomings because of the inclusion of the DeVoe stuff and my love of a certain character from Night of the Museum. <laughs> well, it's a really weird thing to say, but it would make sense if you've seen the episode. I, I enjoyed it. I really like Ralph Dibney. Episode 7, Therefore I Am, and if you really like think, I think, Therefore I Am, and yes, this episode is going to be The Thinker, and it, it rocked it, it's DeVoe versus Barry, but not not like fighting him in, in his floaty suit, this is where you find out 
a lot of stuff about DeVoe. There's ominous interactions. Barry going against Team Flash as he's straight up obsessed with dealing with his nemesis. Grant Gustin's paranoia is palpable and amazing to watch. We find out just how DeVoe became the thinker and get more for his relationship and feel more of the menace that this villain could show in the future. Barry is up against it and, and finds out that being the fastest man alive does not put him on equal footing with the fastest mind alive. Even better, DeVoe is not clearly a bad guy. You might you might find yourself feeling sympathy for him in this episode. Like, what the what? But by far, for a slower episode, this was the best of the season so far. While I love the lighthearted, fun atmospheres of season four, this darker and conflict-filled episode was great, reminding me why viewers watch this show. I don't really need a reminder because The Flash is my boy, one of my favorite soups, if not my favorite, but... Bonus, there's some great callbacks to season one of The Flash in the show. And spoiler in five, four, three, two, one. But Wally, thankfully back, might even have fought Star of the Conqueror in Blue Valley. Please, oh please, can I see this DC? Please. Oh, I saw it. I was like, ooh, Starro. And this was a great episode and worth watching. Next up, Legends of Tomorrow, season three, episode six, Helen Hunt. And that is one hellin of a clever title you see what i did there but oh legends thank you for being the silly and fun comic book show where i can just watch an episode about helen and troy being a time anachronism in 1930s hollywood that makes men fight and lets the lady legends be the awesome ones at the end also more damien dark and reveals for the two ladies of his evil team all the characters are exactly what you want and i haven't even mentioned the joy that was the freaky friday stuff for dr stein and jacks so much freaking goodness here. Spoilers for a quick second, so jump friends jump to avoid them, but Stein finally getting to be Firestorm. Felt like a perfect way to help him on his Broadway departure, and they're really giving him some moments to shine in this season so far, as they should. Plus, Hedy Lamar in the episode, and not just as the most beautiful woman of her time, but as an awesome lady inventor and, and intelligence of her own. As a big woohoo, we even got to see Themyscira Island, Oh, the island of the Amazons at the end of the episode, which which is fucking cool. It marks it as existing in this universe. Had me so excited. Between Arrow dropping Bruce Wayne's name, mentions the Court Industries, mentions the four Ferris Air, all those in Arrow, but this had me fanboying like a maniac. I was like, that them them mascara, and they don't just show it. It says Themyscira Island, so there's no doubt. And Ooh, awesome lady power in an even more awesome episode. And just, just that Themyscira thing at the end was enough. But Legends is a great, amazing comic book show that is consistently good. Even even when it has weaker episodes, of which the next one will be one, it is great. Way to go, Legends. But Episode 7, Welcome to the Jungle. This, this, this is not the strongest episode of the season, but I will say that doesn't make it a bad one. Because this episode had me from go... When the legends go into Vietnam in 1969, McRory encountering his dad, who was played to perfection by Evan Jones. It's you. Get, this is his dad, and you're like, yes, that that is McRory's dad. And I've heard people say that this wasn't their favorite episode, but I dug it, especially because it all includes none other than Gorilla Grodd, who's one of my favorite villains because he's a gorilla, and I love large fuzzy hominids. It just it is what it is. So giant tele, telepathic telekinetic gorilla, the Wookiee's gonna enjoy him. Stein has some funny moments with Isaac Newton, Galileo, and Marie Curie. And you don't have to worry that legends use the telepathic hominid in a one-and-done sort of way. 
Um, because there is hopefully going to be more based on an end scene. I'm not sure how much we're going to see Grodd in Legends, since I'm sure his animation is expensive. But it was really fun to see him. Really enjoyable. The second he was on screen, I was like, yes. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. I enjoy when Grodd has showed up in any of these DCW shows. Jack's got a moment with none other than President LBJ. Hey, hey, LBJ, I'm not going to finish that rhyme from the Vietnam era today. <laughs> but this episode had some minor elements of Apocalypse Now. If for nothing, then they just threw in a joke. I liked Grodd having some fun ideas for bringing peace to humans. I liked his agenda. Sometimes I like when they, they say where the villains are coming from. And you're like, hmm, that's interesting. Still want the good guys to beat your face. But that is interesting. The show used Vietnam in a, in a much less dark than expected way. Like whenever something's in Vietnam, I'm like, ooh, I don't know. Like maybe, maybe like Vietnam and the Holocaust, especially the Holocaust, but stay away. But I mean, the legends went to World War One, did good stuff there. And they used the Vietnam backdrop in a semi-interesting way, at least, at least with that Apocalypse Now reference. The gem of this really was just Mick dealing with his daddy issues, interacting with his father. Long and short, it was a fun episode. Not the best of the season, but still good. And come on, Gorilla Grodd. Gorilla Grodd, friends. Just, uh, there you go. Episode 7, Welcome to the Jungle. Gorilla Grodd, the end. That's, that's my much shorter synopsis. Arrow Season 6, Episode 6, Promises Kept. This is the second part of the buildup with Deathstroke and his son Kane, a.k.a. Joe, and Will Slade Wilson go back to being a bad guy, or will his reform and friendship with Ollie continue? Well, friends, this was a really good episode, and, and, and I say you should watch it to find out. They, I don't want to spoil it. There's there's more flashbacks for Slade, including pre-Mirakuru Deathstroke and post-Mirakuru Deathstroke, who terrorized Star City in Season 2, that I enjoyed. I like that Arrow's like, hey, when we want to use the flashbacks, it doesn't have to be Ollie anymore because we've taken him through his entire thing on Purgatory Island. So now we'll show you flashbacks for the characters. Plenty of action and character stuff here. Thought it was all great. There's father-son relationship stuff explored. Seriously, check it out. It's really funny because actually while I was watching this episode, one of my roommates was watching Punisher on Netflix and looked over and saw Deathstroke on my screen and, and, and wanted to stop Punisher and just have me like take my headphones out so that he could watch Deathstroke because he likes that character and what he was seeing on the screen was compelling. And I think... I think uh, if a scene on a tiny phone screen next to somebody can excite a nerd to want to watch it, that is a good indication that it's a fun episode. And I would recommend that you watch episode five and episode six together. Like the week in between was fine, but I think these the two episodes together might be even more powerful. It, it, it's fun. It's fun. I, I really like it. And especially because I like when episodes flow together and they form a big cohesive story. It's like instead of having a one-shot comic, you have five issues that equal a comic. And our whole comic story. And I, I think I really enjoy it when they do that in these DCW shows instead of just the villain of the week format. I like the long cohesive story. And I, Arrow is doing a good job of that so far. They are. I actually don't think we've had just a one-shot episode. So, yeah, there you go. I thought it was good. Episode 7 was entitled Thanksgiving. Of all the DCW shows, this episode was the one to have a straight-out holiday episode. And while Team Arrow has things to be thankful for, this episode does not bring glad tidings and thankfulness for all the characters. All he has to deal with an FBI investigation into him being the Green Arrow. 
Diggles to deal with what's been going on with him all season in an uber complicated way. Mr. Terrific and Felicity are having their own issues with their tech startup. Other characters deal with events that have happened in the season so far. This is like stuff has happened and you're going to deal with it on Thanksgiving. Because we all know when family gets together for Thanksgiving, it's, it's not always happiness and turkey and tryptophan. Sometimes there's drama. Little Billy doesn't get along with little Susie. Or little little Billy let, let an evil bad guy free and now it's tormenting him. And just, sometimes you just got to deal with it. And there I am again with the Walking Dead accent. I don't know, but uh, this was a fun episode. The only reason it's even remotely happy is something that happens at the end. There's also the issue of the bad bad guy tech genius uh, playing Team Arrow like a finely tuned instrument. And it is a character from the last season who's now a big thing. And he actually reveals why he's after Team Arrow, even though Team Arrow has no memory whatsoever of what has pissed off this guy and is looking into it. It, it It's good, though. Team Arrow and Arrow, it, this show is great. It's one of the darker shows and I really like how the season has been going. I think they're continuing on with this season and, and keeping it going. Like the last one with Adrian Chase, so much fun. And they're, they're finding ways to keep the show strong. This isn't your three, you know, season three, season four slump. They're finding a way for the show to still be fun. And what better way than to throw Deathstroke in and, and really use Team Arrow in a great way. You know, they came together as a team in the last season and now they're Team Arrow. When they show up, you're like, that is Team Arrow. I enjoy how the season's been going. We'll see where it all ends up. But for now, I'm just stoked for all the crossover stuff that is going to happen this week. Like I said, I've seen the first episode. I'm going to save this for level 69. 69, dude! I don't know. Probably have to think of something like that for it. <laughs> I'll just call it a level dirty sex position. I don't know. But yeah, the, the Crisis on Earth X stuff, part 1 to 4. I've seen the Supergirl part 1 with Heather gonna watch two more parts tonight and then probably the third part on the next night and then i'll be all caught up but yeah i i yeah if i was just gonna tease you to convince you to go on to the the cw app and watch it because i'm pretty sure you can watch it for free there's nazis and lesbian romance and doppelgangers and tommy merlin and king shark and ninjas and wedding rsvps like if that doesn't interest you to check out the first episode <laughs> i don't know what will but uh, it looks like instead of like the the Dominator, you know, event from last season, that that they're not gonna do where this episode's a Supergirl episode and really not part of the crossover. They're like, boom, Supergirl. It is the crossover. It starts it, and they're not just gonna do Arrow centric, which sort of has to do with it, or Legend centric, which sort of has to do with it, or Flash centric, which sort of has to do with it. You're just gonna get a four part movie. That's gonna be amazing and probably end up being a better Justice League movie than the Justice League movie that came out. Just saying. But really good. Also excited this week, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 5 is going to be back. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in space. There's a really nice teaser you can watch for it. Uh, full disclosure, I have not caught up on Gotham. There's four episodes, actually, that I, I still need to watch. Ha still haven't seen the last two episodes of Inhumans. Those are on my list. I thought I'd be doing it during fall break. But no, instead I watched Punisher and Stranger Things 2. Also, just really exciting while watching Supergirl. Black Lightning, January 16th, official day that Black Lightning is coming back. So, really exciting stuff. And just looking at all the TV that's coming out next year, I'm like, 
wow, there's so many shows. I think I saw the Black Lightning thing, and I smiled at Heather, and I was like, I'm excited. But Jeebus knows I don't need another geeky TV show to watch, and she sort of laughed at me. <laughs> but she she deals with my madness, and for now, it continues on, and it's good. But uh, what's, what's up next? Let's head to In the Stacks, where I talk comics. And boy, howdy, is there lots of comics. And holy moly, I didn't realize we'd already gone over an hour and, and there's going to be more friends. I promised a, a jam-packed catch-up. So in the stacks, lots of comics. I read Flash, I read Wonder Woman, and I read lots of Dark Knight's Metal. We're, we're just going to get into it. Starting with The Flash, my boy The Flash. Issues 24 to 32. 24 was writer Joshua Williamson. He's the writer for all of these. Artist Carmine DG and Domenico. Pop Mon also is an artist. Colorist Ivan Placentia and Hi-Fi. You got Barry and Hal Jordan. Continuing their fight against Multiplex from Color of Fear Part 1 in the previous issue. Well, Wally West deals with the reverse flash. flash. Yes, he's somehow still alive after the button mini event. There's a brutal moment of evil for Ebar Thon, as well as me liking Jordan's space bar powered by Will. I love watching Barry run around and figure out how to defeat bad guys, and this did not disappoint in that department. It leads to a storyline called Running Scared, which continues in issue 25. DG and Domenico, Neil Googe and Ryan Sook on art, Placentia, Hi-Fi, and Dave McCrig on color. Thawne is stolen Iris, leads Barry to the 25th century, courtesy of none other than the Cosmic Treadmill. A lot of people hate the Cosmic Treadmill. I'm not one of them. Woot woot. Always excited to see it. Backstory for Thawne's hatred of the Flash is covered as well. And more of what the villain's big plan is to defeat his rival in the Flash Museum. It's an interesting twist to reverse Flash's motivations. Issue 26 is Howard Porter on art, hi-fi on color, and it, it keeps going. I was so stoked to see a future version of Barry bearded and married with kids. All superheroes are better bearded. Just watch the Infinity War <laughs> Infinity War trailer if you don't believe me. But this is good, and, and Barry's dealing with the consequences of his superhero duties and his lineage and the things that he does. There's some crazy stuff for Barry, which culminates in issue 27. That's art by Porter and Paul Pelletier with Andrew Hennessy and Porter doing color. The battle and drama with Reverse Flash goes on, ends in an unexpected way for both Barry and Iris. Ending is none too happy, but it's technically a win. And and it's it's really interesting. It it deals with the negative speed force of the Reverse Flash. And just more that entire story running scared. This idea of why the Reverse Flash hates Barry Allen so much. And I, I thought it was good. And it also deals with some previous stuff with Barry. And, you know, is he going to tell Iris that he's the Flash? And is he not? And, and it really, it all comes together quite well. And is a lot of fun. Issue 28 is back to DG and Domenico on art. Hi-Fi doing color. Barry has new powers courtesy of his brush with the negative speed force. Trying to figure out how to reconcile them. How to use them without being his very own version of Destructo Boy. And then Shrapnel and other baddies are not making it easy on him. Plus seeing his boss at the at the uh, Central City Police Department thinks he's a deadbeat. And uh-oh, issue 29 with Popmon and Christian Duque or Duke on art. Continuing the story, which ends bad for everyone involved. His co-worker, Kristen Kramer, none too happy with what's going on. Barry's preoccupation, his lateness, she feels he's not pulling up his end in the crime lab. And now they have to figure out a new string of murders involving blood work and the potential of someone within the Central City PD being involved. All the while, Barry's afraid to use his powers because of his experience with them, especially because of his battle with shrapnel. Issue 30 is Neil Googe on art, Ivan Placentia on color. 
introduces a new villain called Bloodwork. Hey, they were dealing with the murders involving labs and Bloodwork, and hey, now the bad guy is Bloodwork. <laughs> it's not the best of names. It's an interesting bad guy. But issue 31 is Gooch still arting it up with Gus Vasquez doing color. My favorite thing about all of this is Wally becoming involved. Forgiving Barry for some past deceitful omissions, helping Barry figure out how to master the negative speed force. Also, I guess I should mention that the battle with Bloodwork, who's one gross customer, results in Barry and Kristen being transferred to Iron Heights to be seized there. And and it's it's an interesting story. It's no groundbreaking world changes stuff, but it was good. Issue thirty two, Kristen Duke Deuce doing art, placentia on color. We get Warden Wolf, who is a tough customer. You know things are going to happen when Barry's locked up with the same perps he put away. You know, Flash has his rogues, and a lot of them are there in Iron Heights, which is a island prison and ominous. Copperhead shows up in this issue, as well as one of Barry's loves, believed dead. Curiouser and curiouser. Overall, the Flash stuff is so much fun. Really like the fear storylines with Thawn, giving us a familiar story with a new twist. Metal stuff was whatever. Barry dealing with powers of the negative speed force. But, you know, that, that could be fun, and I like that as a new story point. I know the whole Iron Heights and all that was entailed there uh, stuff was good. I really enjoyed that. I actually have the next issue, but I saved it to read later because the next issue is part of Dark Knight's Metal, and, and that's something that, that I want to do all encapsulated, all of the, the Dark Knight's Metal that I've read together. I also read Wonder Woman Rebirth, issues 24 to 30. Issue 24, um, this is Greg Rucka, art by Bill Quisevli, colored by Romulo Fajardo Jr., and this is the epilogue to the entire Godwatch storyline, which covered issues 1 to 23, bouncing back and forth from Diana's origin story to her modern story timeline. This is how it all shakes out for Wonder Woman, Steve Trevor, Minerva, a.k.a. Cheetah, Dr. Cyber, and Dr. Veronica Kale. A favorite Amazonian gets to fight a bit, also protects someone you might not expect. It's kinetic, it's interesting. Issue 25 is art by Evely and Liam Sharp, colored by Fajardo Jr. and the writer still Greg Rucka. The DC Trinity fights the Shaggy Man in this. Other Justice Leaguers show up, but this is all about Diana. Or Diana, she lost the perfect when she showed off against Hades and Themyscira previously. Um, she's still wishing to cure Dr. Barbara and Minerva from her cheetah stuff, but she probably shouldn't look for help from Dr. Kale. She can always count on her patrons, though. The end is nicely done. Some really beautiful images. Trevor also sets up a house for Diana, which is sweet and a fun gender reversal thing and, and cute. It's really great. Issue 26 actually starts a new writer for the series, uh, Shay Fontana. She is the writer for the rest of the issues I'm going to mention. Art for issue 26 is uh, Mirka Andolfo, colored by Fajardo Jr. This begins a story called Heart of the Amazon, which continues with the same theme in issue 27. Basically, someone is out to steal Diana's powers, willing to use terrorist tactics to do so, even if it hurts friends of Wonder Woman's like Etta Candy. Turns out the threat is much closer to home, or should I say work, and fortunately, Diana succeeds against the threat. Not an awful story, but honestly, I, I didn't really dig the art style, which if I if I don't enjoy the art, sometimes I, I just, I'm not in the story. Comic books are a visual medium, and if the visuals aren't what you're expecting, especially after all the Greg Rucka stuff, and all the amazing artists he had working for him. Issues 28 to 30 are by David Messina um, and Anaki Miranda, and then Messina again, or sorry, so it's David Messina in 28, Anaki Miranda in 29, and then Messina again in 30. It's, it's an awkward story. 
It's still the heart of the Amazon thing. Namely, assassins are after Diana now, and the threat starts small and then blows out crazy out of control. And then there's banged up Etta Candy, helping Wonder Woman, some villains, Mayfly, Cat Eye, Cheshire, Plastique, some others. Steve Trevor joins in in issue 29, but not really since this is a girl power story. 30 ends with an evil scientist set on using Diana to make superpowered people. Throughout the five issue storyline, there's some nice flashback, flashbacks to Wonder Woman's childhood that I thought were really cool. It was an okay story. Um, I feel the departure of Rucka. I really want to be on board with uh, Shay being the, the writer now, Shay Fontana. And I actually did read um, the next story, which would be issue uh, 31, which is a, a new thing. It has to do with the Dark Side War. I, I just, because I want to read the entire story and talk about it together, I didn't include it here. Depending on how good this next story, um, it's Child of the Gods or something along those lines, depending on how good that is, is actually going to make a decision on whether I continue with Diana for her adventures. Because sometimes when new writers come on, it just it just changes the stories. And then you, you go off, and if somebody says it's really good again, then you come back. So, And I, I can't believe I've actually stuck around with a lot of these Rebirth titles for quite a while. I would say it feels like years, but because they're doing two issues a month, it's really not. So when you're at 24, we've only been reading it for a year. But I thought I really, issues one to 25 or one to 24 of Greg, actually yeah, we have one to 25 of Greg Rucka story. Yeah, I hope they collected in some sort of omnibus. It's really, really good. And I enjoy Wonder Woman stories. And I actually wanted to collect it so that if my nine-year-old wanted to read Wonder Woman at some time when I think she's age-appropriate, I can have good Wonder Woman stories for her to read. Be like, look at these awesome female superheroes that represent you. And I, I know she loves the Wonder Woman movie. She's young, but she loves it. And she likes seeing that sort of thing. And good for her. The last bit of comics, which is a lot. Like the Flash deck was pretty thick. The Wonder Woman a little less thick. And then, boom, I have all of these Dark Knights books that I've read. I had some of them. I'd actually read them a while ago. And then I, I went back and I reread everything. This is Dark Days the Forge, Dark Days the Casting, Dark Knights Metal 1 to 3, plus the one shots for Murder Machine, Dawnbreaker, The Drown, The Merciless, The Devastator, The Batman Who Laughs, Batman Lost, The Flash number 33, Justice League number 32 to 33, Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps, I think it's number 33. All of these are also tie ins. I cover everything as the official che event checklist lists it, so chronologically, so to speak. Um, there are a couple titles I haven't picked up that I plan to, though. There's a Teen Titans, Nightwing, and uh, another one-shot for one of the villains that I've missed. Actually, I think I'm, I'm tomorrow at school. My buddy's going to give me an extra copy of Red Death, so I'm really excited for that. But there's a lot going on here. And I'm just, I'll start at the start and then take it away. And my name is not Simpson Bartholomew J. It's Joe the Wookie Riot. Thanks for sticking around with me. I know we're past an hour, but we're pressing. Pressing and getting towards the end. The Forge was written by Scott Snyder, James Tinney and the Fourth, pencils by Jim Lee, Andy Cooper, John Romita Jr., ink by Scott Williams, Klaus Jansen, and Danny Meeky, color by Alex Sinclair with Jeremiah Skipper. This is a mystery involving Hawkman being tracked down by the world's greatest detective. There's Mr. Terrific doing a part, plus Superman in the Fortress of Solitude, with Mr. Miracle showing up, and then Duke and Hal Jordan and a surprise guest. Lots of things from previous Batman stories appearing here throughout this. 
as if all of Batman's stories have led to this point, which is really nice. The casting, which is the next one, it's all the same peeps working on the issue, continues with a surprise in Batcave sub-basement. Also learn more about the mysterious metals in the universe, plus some organizations working for or against it. You got Wonder Woman, you got Talia Gold teaching us more about the mystery metals. Everything's all set up for a potential invasion in metal number one with a script by Snyder. Pencils by Greg Capullo, ink by Jonathan Glapian, and color by FCO Placentia. Story starts a little weird. Justice League versus Mongol. <laughs> All sorts of strange things. But then you get to Gotham, and even more strange things. Stranger things, if you will, are afoot in Gotham with a mystery mountain. Lots of characters involved in this DC Comics event, as they should be. Kendra Saunders, Red Tornado, Dr. Fate amongst them. The Nth Metal, it's N-T-H, so the Nth Metal, the Ninth Metal intrigue or the something weird metal intrigue continues but even even though tons of forces are trying to stop bruce wayne from following his investigation through to completion you know how this thing is going to go the world's greatest detective is not going to be deterred and metal number two keeps it going it's the same team brings us to the badness so to speak we learn about that we've learned about the dark multiverse from kendra and we know of an evil called barbados and different tribes of men at the beginning of time and how how the thanagarians relate to this story but now everybody just has to stop batman from from unleashing ultimate evil and uh it's it's the sort of thing that you would imagine if, if the joker doesn't want it to happen it, it might really be bad. I think that's a good point, which falls to the Dark Days comics. But there's some great reveals in here, even if they're just one panel. Swamp Thing showing up. Clayface. Another baby I guess I'll keep secret, but it ties into a recent war event that I don't think it's a spoiler to say. Um, Batman fucks up everything, as Batman does. And now Earth Prime... Actually, that's not fair. Batman doesn't fuck up everything. But you get in this, Batman messes things up. And now Earth Prime, Earth Zero has to deal with the beans you may have seen on the poster for this event. All different evil versions of the Dark Knight. Dark nightmares, if you will. This this is righteous stuff. And about here is where I'm going to get a bit more vague when I talk about comics because I really don't want to run anything. I think this is amazing and worth spending your money on. Suffice to say that these villains from the Dark Multiverse, the nightmare versions of Batman, are amazing. The first one is the murder machine connected to Cyborg's power from Earth-44 because the Dark Multiverse is literally that. Instead of Earth-44, you get Earth-44. So that's the Dark Multiverse. And who knows how many of these. Presumably there's 52, but maybe there's more. This murder machine one-shot written by Frank Thierry and James Tinney in the fourth. Art by Ricardo Federici. Colored by Rain Barreto. There's appearances by all the Dark Knights, but Cyborg Batman is the main focus. It's really good. Then you get the Dawnbreaker, Sam Humphreys with art by Ethan Van Skyver, colors by Jason Wright, which this one really blew my mind with a Bruce Wayne who somehow becomes a Green Lantern. One thing is for sure, the Batman for the, the Batman who laughs is the boss of this gang of dark nightmares. Poor Hal Jordan has to face off against this Dark Lantern of Fear. The next one is Metal Number Three. This is Scott Snyder, Capullo, Glapian, and Placentia. It's a Superman-centric issue with with the the Man of Steel facing off the horrors from the Dark Multiverse. We also get the Oblivion Bar, um, some editions of Doctor Fate, Mister Terrific, and Steel joining the regular Justice Leaguers. So that's Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Flash, Green Lantern, and there's there's four teams splitting up to try and save the multiverse. 
And then you get another one-shot, The Drowned, um, written by Dan Abnett with art by Philip Tan and Tyler Kirkham, colored by Dean White and Arif Prianto. This is a gender-bent Batman. This is Bryce Wayne, which I think is a great name. Acquires the powers of an Atlantean to serve her purposes, courtesy of events on her dark multiverse. And now the laughing Batman has unleashed her on Earth Zero, Amnesty Bay, and Arthur and Hera. She's a tough cookie, but full disclosure, this this wasn't one of my favorite Dark Knight one-shots, although I do love the writing of Dan Abnett. It's still good. Like, it, it gets four gold stars next to others, which clearly have five gold stars. It's okay, little little Joe. You've got four four gold stars. That's, that's really good. It's just not A-plus stuff. The next one-shot, The Merciless. This was one of my favorites, written by Peter J. Tomasi with art by Francis Manipole. What would happen if Batman put on Ares' helmet? And nothing good, friends. This issue has a twist at the end that made me exclaim out loud. Argus is involved in the whole dark multiverse mess. Um, this really is a story of Batman and him coming in contact, or the bad Batman, one of the bad Batman, if you will, coming in contact with Steve Trevor, two men once in love with Diana Prince, and it's really good. The next issue is Flash number 23, written by Joshua Williamson with art by Howard Porter, colored by Hi-Fi. Basically, this shows us Flash helping Superman on their part of the four-part mission, and then follows what's going on with Flash, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, and Aquaman. There's some side-by-side panels, which are amazing. Sure, I'm not alone in having wanted to see the League members face off with their counterparts, and this sets that up, uh, but it also features all seven, I think there's seven of the Dark Knights. It, it was awesome. The Devastator one-shot by Frank Thierry and James Tinney in the fourth, art by Troy S. Daniel, colored by Danny Mickey, brings the Doomsday version of Bats, while also adding some stakes for Superman in the Dark Multiverse, plus Lois Lane is involved. It's good. Honestly, it's an issue I liked more the second time that I read it, but it has has a version of the Batman and Superman fight from BBS, which is actually good and doesn't have anything to do with the names of their mothers. <laughs> so that that alone should make you interested in learning more more about, about that. It's, it's bad. I'm always clowning on BBS. Check out CBM Defenders, though, the, the bonus code number six, if you want to hear me try to say something good about it. Justice League number 32, written by Robert Vendetti with art by Liam Sharp, colored by Adam Brown. Keeps the bats out of hell story from the Flash issue going. It's a four-parter. Hal, Diana, Barry, and Arthur facing off against the Nightmare versions of Batman that have something to do with them. And it's not going well as as or not going as well as the heroes would like. Bonus is a narration by Cyborg who's helplessly watching it all go down. Why is he helpless? Well, read The Murder Machine and other comics to find out. But we get the next one shot, Batman Lost. This is this is a big old team. Scott Snyder, James Tinney in the fourth, and Joshua Williamson writing. Pencils by Doug Monkey, Yannick Paquette, and Jorge Jimenez. Inks by Paquette, Jimenez, and Jaime Mendoza. Colors by Will Quintana, Nathan Fairborn, and Alejandro Sanchez. Yes, another big team like The Forge and the casting. And it's a big book, so I get it. I get why there's so many people involved. This is a wild dreamscape, nut job of a story showing what's up with Earth Zero's Batman, where he is while all this wildness is going down. And it pays off at the end with one hell of a splash page featuring the true big bad of the story of Barbados. Yes, that's not the best name in the universe, but it's forgiven for everything else that is awesome about this. This is an issue for anyone wondering how Barbados ties into previous Batman stories. And it has a lot of awesomeness, even if it bends your mind a little. Because it, it is a dream, if you will, of Batman and, and jumps around in, in really cool ways. I enjoy it. 
The next issue, Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps, issue 32. This is Bats Out of Hell Part 3. Shows Hal versus the Dawnbreaker, which is the Green Lantern Dark Nightmare. Um, this is his showdown because that wasn't really a big part of the previous Justice League issue. It's good. There's some really great panels that alternate between good and bad dynamically. Written by Robert Venditti with art by Arthur, Ethan Van Skyver and Liam Sharp. Colored by Jason Wright. And seriously, this whole metal thing makes you believe the heroes that you count on to win could actually lose their shit when this whole thing is done and over with. Dawnbreaker is one of my favorites of the Dark Nightmares. So this issue is a lot of fun with the two green lanterns facing off if you will the the multiverse and the dark multiverse lantern and and yeah batman as a green lantern in itself is a really really interesting concept but then then you just get to the one shot for the dark nightmare it has so many people intrigued because his face and name is all over the issues he is the one who is in charge of these evil batman and this is the batman who laughs Written by James Tinney in the fourth, art by Riley Rosmo, color by Ivan Placentia, and full disclosure, this was a story that made me catch up on all these metal issues, dedicating two hours to comic reading after I went and picked this up. Is Purple Man put some pages of it up on a group message between Blue and I and some others, and I didn't want to be spoiled. I just was like, you know what? I have the money, I have the time. I went and picked up my pull list at Fat Collectibles in, uh, I think... Where are they? They're not. They used to be here in Anaheim. Now it's uh, up past Fullerton. I can't actually think of the name of it, so I'll just have to do my due diligence and give them a drop later. But went to Fats, picked up my pull list because I had to know what was what, and boy howdy, did this all not disappoint? And was it made? It was. It was. This was even more badass than I thought it would be. It was a really good one shot. Anyone who has seen an image of this Batman who looks like a heavy metal Joker probably wonders how this could happen and. That how how he's showing up and what's the deal and right here is where you're gonna find out what's going on why he's so ominous the origin does not disappoint at all and I'm not gonna be the doofus who spoils it but I will say this is another issue that has a two-page spread at the end which just shows how this whole thing could get a whole lot worse for our heroes this is a comic I never knew I wanted and it's amazing and horrifying and wonderful all at the same time. <laughs> it sort of makes me sad for the last comic that I'll mention here in this this version of In the Stacks. Because Justice League 33, written by Joshua Williamson with art by Tyler Kirkham and Michael Michael Janin, colored by Arif Prianto and Jeremy Cause, was is the finale of Bats Out of Hell. And it's actually a really good story, but any story after reading The Batman Who Laughs... It just just can't be as good, but this is classic Justice League fighting the baddies. Cyborg getting one heck of a moment. I think of this as the intermission edition where things go good on the for the good guys, go go right for them for a little before things undoubtedly are gonna swing back to not looking bright. But uh, it's good for my emotions, for people's emotions to have some good happen. Although when I say good, I mean this. This isn't brightness and justness and and amazingness. It's just it's just the the bad guys are the good guys are getting beat and beat and beat. And you just can't keep watching that. You know you can't see Batman get his back broken over and over. His back has to heal at some point. And I guess like I'm saying, this is bat not Batman specifically, but the Justice League's back not being broken for a moment them actually get into fight back and it's drawn beautifully and it's exciting worth checking out i'm so stoked by all these issues that i read and for the first time in a while i i actually recommend all the one-shot side stories that accompany dark knight's metal um, after all this is done 
I may actually see about just reading the main title, you know, metal one through, I think it's one through six, but, and seeing if that was good enough. But I, I, I dare say that the answer is probably no, it's not good enough because these one shots are amazing and they come together into an event, which is just fabulous. It's awesome stuff. Um, it connects two previous stories that you read, especially in the Batman angle. And I'm just going to shut up now since Jesus knows I've spent a lot of time on this episode of the podcast and talking about comics. You'll just have to forgive me, know that I really wanted to wax all about all this stuff. I didn't want to restrain myself. I wanted to spoil everything. I wanted to talk so much more about each issue. I had other things to say, but also don't want to spoil any of this and I, I really think that that's enough comics for one episode I'm not really sure that we have any more uh, segments so to speak you know I, I do have one last Star Wars thing to mention I guess it's a let the Wookiee wins but really this is just I, I don't want to end it on a down note but I just wanted to make sure that I gave credit rest in peace to John Molo or John Moyo if you are unfamiliar with this name, this is a creator of Star Wars costumes from the very first movie. He also worked on Empire Strikes Back. But he, he is the man responsible for the iconic Luke's of Luke Skywalker, for the monkish robes of Obi-Wan, for the, the rascal space pirate look of Han Solo, for the princess you know regal robes of Leia. This is the man that helps with military uniforms. The armor and helmets of the stormtroopers come from him. The samurai-esque armor and helmet of Darth Vader are his brain children. Basically, Malo ensured that the universe so many of us love, it, that it looked real, that it didn't look fancy and stupid, that it looked like a real place that people could live. I mean, obviously, for Star Wars, he won an Academy Award for costuming. He actually later won an Academy Award when he costumed the movie Gandhi, which is another great movie. Worked on movies like Revolution, Cry Freedom, worked on Chaplin with RDJ, Iron Man himself. But this guy really is the bee's knees. He died in his 80s. Self-taught historian, so you know it's near and dear to my heart because I'm, I'm currently working on my bachelor's in history and probably going to work on my major in history. But he served as a consultant on historical films, worked as a costumer, and gave us so much in a galaxy far, far away. In his own words, the costumes were, quote, a bit of plumbing and general automobile engineering, end quote, which he actually said when he accepted his first Academy Award for Star Wars. But I think we can all agree that he did something amazing that perseveres in thousands of cosplays every year and action figures and toys and images and still currently fresh and real on the screen. I mean, he created the way this looks and people are recreating the way this looks and sticking to his ideas and... Thank you, good sir, John Mallo. I sincerely hope your angel wings are as awesome and amazing as your earthly visions. And 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 thank you, thank you for 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 that. For the you know the princess, the pirate, the wizard, the farm boy. Thank you for your contributions. And the world is less for having having lost John Mallo. And I wanted wanted to give him some credit because he's not he's not the big star. He's not. He's not the director, he's not the cinematographer, he's not the, the head of the story group or the CEO of Lucasfilm or Disney. You know, he was a customer and I, I think he's a name that people probably don't know and I, I wanted to make sure that I, I threw it here on there. I salute you and, and because of your amazingness, I'm going to end the episode. John Malo, thank you and I, I think it's time that we wrap up level 68 
of this podcast. If you're not already doing so, subscribe on to the podcast. We're on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. I'm actually looking into a couple other places that we might put the podcast on, see if we can grow our audience. Um, any, any of the apps that pull from iTunes or Google Play, if you're doing that, if there's a way for you to rate it, do it. Please go go on iTunes and rate the podcast. Give us five stars. Throw down some nice words. It Really, that is the way that you can show your appreciation for a podcast and get it out to other people. If you get enough five stars, you can actually get ranked as a podcast. And then when people are looking, they're like, hey, what's this laugh it up fuzzball thing? And then they find it and they, they hear the voice and they see all this geeky stuff that I talk about. And hopefully they stick around. Please, so many ways to comment. Facebook.com slash Laugh It Up Fuzzball Podcast or the Laugh It Up Fuzzballs, Fuzzball with an S, Laugh It Up Fuzzballs Closed Group, which is easy to join. Great ways to comment. Talk to other geeks there. You can email me, uh, Laugh It Up Fuzzball Podcast at gmail.com. You can always send me a message on Twitter or Instagram at Wookie Riot, W O O K I E E R I O T. Um, I do try to be on Twitter and Instagram. Sometimes I'm more successful than others, but I get notifications and I always have uh, the email for this podcast is connected direct to my phone. Literally, it would be the same as shooting me a text message if you wanted to talk about something or you had some ideas or something you wanted to a show to be all about or a movie for the comic book movie defenders to defend or tear apart. You know, any of your thoughts, comments, ideas, comments, cussing, discussing is is open and welcome for me. I, I just I'm so thankful and appreciative for everybody who listens. I like being your Wookiee. Your Wookie, your resident walking carpeted geekery. I like being the host of Laugh It Up Fuzzball. I like having an outlet for talking about this geeky stuff. A reason, if you will, to stay enmeshed in all this geeky stuff that a grown man in his mid-30s can still enjoy and be like, well, it's, it's sort of part of what I do. It's part of my job, but drop a comment, drop an email, rate, throw the five stars, but really just thank you for stopping by. Thank you for being the classy people you are, for being excellent to each other, for partying on, dudes. And really, may the Force be with us all. I am one with the Force. The Force is with me. I am the Wookiee, but you know it's time to, to end the way we do. It just We have to throw off those four little letters. It's really three letters. One of them said twice, but sometimes all good things must come to an end. So TTFN, Wookiee, out.